Well, we're going to start our, uh, I usually do several Christmas sermons this time of year, so we're going to start our first one uh, today. We'll start in the book of Matthew. But I wanted to think about this idea that there were children planned for a mission. Children planned for a mission. And I got this story, I don't totally know how it all came to me, but it revolves around the dentist I had growing up. The dentist I had growing up was a big man, and he had huge hands. Dentist, huge hands. I would think that should be like an entrance requirement, because he'd get in there with both hands, and as a kid, you'd go, oh, I can't open it, and then he'd ask you a question. Like, oh, 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 you know, it, it just, he, just, he was just this big man, big hands, he'd ask a question, and then this was, you know, before the covering days, and so he would breathe, and he had the heaviest nostril breath. So he's talking, so he's working on you, and there'd just be this, and your hair would kind of blow, and, and he was just, he was a big man, big dentist, big hands, big breath, you know, and it was, so I think we got the job done. I don't know, I still have teeth, but um, somehow, I don't know if he told the story or was told to me, but that when he was dating, he was planning for big boys, so he only dated tall women. He was not going to date a shorter lady or a petite lady. He said, I want big boys that are all going to play football. Like he had a mission in mind. He was big. He wanted big boys. And sure enough, they had three boys. Wouldn't have been ironic if he didn't, you know, had all girls. And um, not that girls can't be amazing athletes. But he had this mission in mind. And, uh, and I only really knew the older one. But he was a big kid and he did play football and I remember going on a river rafting trip with him, and he could row that boat so strong and hard. I was like, geez, I guess his mission worked out. But um, he was planning. I want these kids. I want them to have a mission to be big, strong kids. And that's actually our Christmas story, is that Jesus was planned for a mission. That the coming of Jesus, the Christmas story, is about a birth of a child with a mission. It was foretold. Years and years in advance, foretold at his birth. And so I want to look at that today. What was this mission that he was, he was, he was told he was going to do? And so Jesus' mission is to seek and save. Before he comes, before he's born to Mary, before he enters this earth, he had a mission to seek and to save. So I want us to look at that today. So we're going to start in Matthew And the kids read part of this, or maybe all of this today, Matthew 1, verse 18. And we're going to do 18 through 25, but we'll also be jumping to some other spots today. But I want us to first just hear Matthew's account of the birth of Jesus. Matthew chapter 1, verse 18, you want to follow along? I'll be up here, hope you're following along at home. Matthew 1, 18. He says... Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, Do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, 
for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. So here's our point today. Jesus' mission is to seek and to save. The first thing I want us to see is that that Jesus' identity and mission are foretold right here. Before he comes, before he's born, before anything happens, it's foretold. Who he is and what he's going to do. It's foretold by the angel here to Joseph. So first, let's look at his identity. Who does he say this child is? So this is, this is Joseph, and he finds out that his wife, uh, well, his engaged, his fiance is pregnant, and she explains to him that an angel told her that, and he's probably thinking, okay, you're crazy and you're lying to me. But um, So the angel's like, we better make a little visit to Joseph and clue him in on the plan here. So he comes over, he's considering, I'm going to just send her away quietly and divorce her quietly, this isn't going to work. And... Uh, The angel shows up in a dream and says, hold on, hold on. Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. So right away we're told this is not a normal, natural conception. That Mary is pregnant, but not from a human father. The Holy Spirit, the third member of the Trinity, has put that child there. So we learn one thing right there. He's from God. Right, And he says, look at this, it's something miraculous. Verse 23, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son. Something impossible, something that doesn't happen, right? We won't go through health class in here today, but you get the idea you need the mom and the dad. And uh, so he's saying, no, there's something different. We have a, a female, a normal woman, but then the Holy Spirit is putting a son in there. And he's called this name Emmanuel, which means God with us. That name, that's a Hebrew name, broken down. Im is with, Manu is us, El is God. With us God, or God with us. So we're getting a picture of this identity here. And then so when Joseph awoke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, he got married, but he knew her not until she had given birth to a son and called his name Jesus. So the first thing we're told is his identity is that he is son of God and son of man. He's son of God because he's placed there by the Holy Spirit through a miracle only God could do. So God is placed in there. So he is the son of God. He's the eternal son of God placed into a womb as a single cell to grow. And and we are going to see the story. But he's also son of man. He's born from a woman. So that's his identity. He's the the God-man, the Son of God and the Son of Man, a miraculous birth. So that's the first thing we see there, that Jesus' identity is the Son of God. So we see his identity foretold and also his mission is foretold. You saw it there in verse 21. She will bear a son, he shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. The name Jesus is from the Hebrew name Joshua, Yoshua, which means salvation. Sometimes you'd see it as Yehoshua, which is 
Yahweh or the Lord is salvation. So that's kind of going, the, the English name Jesus comes from that, which means salvation. Name him Jesus. Name him salvation. That's his name, and it's his mission. He's going to save. He's going to save his people from their sins. So right away, we're told who just Jesus is. It's just not some other kid born, not just some other birth that happened to some people. It's specifically the eternal Son of God placed in the womb by the Holy Spirit. He's Son of God and Son of Man. And he has a mission, saving, salvation. He has a mission to save people from their sins. So that's told before it happens. The angel comes and talks to Joseph. So the second thing I want us to look at here is that Jesus' mission gets visualized. Jesus' mission gets visualized. It's given a living picture or a metaphor or almost a living parable. So I want to show you how his mission gets visualized in the birth story. So we're going to jump over to Luke's account, Luke chapter 2, and uh, we get another clue about this. So Matthew and Luke are two accounts that have some of the birth story in it. So if you go over to Luke, uh, you just saw the place. So you know the part, no room at the inn. They carried the donkey, I mean rode the donkey, however they got up here. Uh, so they get to Bethlehem. We're not going to go through that part of the detail today. But Mary and Joseph, they travel to Bethlehem. That's where he's from. He's got to go there for a census to register. So if you get to Luke chapter 2 and get to verse 7, I want us to see uh, this, this mission visualized. Luke chapter 2, verse 7. It says, And he gave birth... And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. So the new baby in an animal's feed box. Then it says that in the same region there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them. I always say this every year, but I love that our angels are like in battle armor and like, yeah. Because if they have to say, don't be afraid, then you know they're not the fluffy, precious moments angels. No. So they show up. The angel of the Lord appeared and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. So we've got the birth of the Son of God in flesh happening, and the angels are going, well, maybe we should tell somebody. Who's around, right? Do you think they were like, who's around? I don't know. I don't know. There's some guys out in the field. Well, let's just go tell them. Do you think it was accidental that they couldn't think of who to tell? They couldn't figure out, well, maybe we should go to the priests. Maybe we should go to uh, the king. Who should we tell? Who gets an angel visit? The shepherds get the angel visit. It wasn't because the angels didn't know who else to talk to. It wasn't because they got lost. It was intentional. There's, a, there's a, an intentional imagery happening. So I want you to go tell shepherds, people out taking care of sheep, that the Savior's been born. That's who I want you to go talk to. I'm sure they were kind of freaking out. They're up all night watching sheep. What do you do all night watching sheep? I don't know. Probably throw a rock a lot. Are you seeing this? Are you seeing this? 
you're seeing this? So they, they get told. So here's what we got. We've got shepherds being told the same thing that Joseph was told. A Savior is born. But where? In the city of David, who is the shepherd turned king. You know the story of David? He was a shepherd boy who God calls to be king. So the angels go to shepherds and say, I want you to go into the city of the shepherd king to see the Savior, who is Christ the Lord. Christ means Messiah, the anointed one, and he's the Lord. So we see the God-man again. So this whole thing is kind of repeated to the shepherds. Shepherds in the city of the shepherd-turned-king that a Savior is coming. So this is the imagery that Jesus' mission gets visualized as a shepherd-savior. A shepherd-savior. That's what's happened. Shepherds are foretold. It's in the city of the shepherd-turned-king, and they're reminded that he's a Savior. And so this imagery of shepherds is actually a lot in the Bible. But it really helps us see Jesus' mission. It's visualized as a shepherd. So this takes us back to the book of Ezekiel. The book of Ezekiel, which is hundreds of years before the birth of Jesus, hundreds of years before the shepherds are visited, this whole notion of a shepherd as the Savior is foretold. If you go to Ezekiel chapter 34, the book of Ezekiel is about 600 years before the events of Christmas. The book of Ezekiel is written uh, to the nation of Israel that's in trouble. They've been exiled in Babylon. In fact, Ezekiel was taken from his home and brought. He's one of the exiles living in Babylon, receiving prophecies, information from God. So in Exodus, Ezekiel 34, verse 11, we get this foretelling of the idea of a shepherd, Savior, who is God. So look at verse 11. For thus says the Lord God, Behold, I, I myself, will search for my sheep and seek them out. Does that sound interesting? Who is the identity of the child be born? Put there by the Holy Spirit. He's Christ the Lord. Hundreds of years earlier, he says, I, I myself, will search for my sheep and seek them out. Verse 12, as a shepherd seeks out his flock when he is among his sheep that have been scattered, so will I seek out my sheep. And I will rescue them from all the places where they have been scattered on a day of clouds and thick darkness. And I will bring them out from the peoples and gather them from the countries and will bring them to their own land. And I will feed them on the mountains of Israel by the ravines and in all the inhabited places of the country. I will feed them with good pasture and on the mountain heights of Israel will be their grazing land. There they shall lie down in good grazing land and on rich pasture they shall feed on the mountains of Israel. I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep and I myself will make them lie down, declares the Lord God. I will seek the lost, I will bring back the strayed, and I will bind up the injured. And I will strengthen the weak, and the fat and the strong I will destroy. I will feed them in justice. So here's this picture coming together. Jesus' mission gets visualized. Hundreds and hundreds of years before it happens, 
God's announcing about as clear as you can announce. I am going to come as a shepherd looking for lost sheep, saving sheep. Jesus is foretold to his parents. He's going to come as a savior. As soon as he comes, who is it told to? Shepherds in the field. Hey, go see the savior. This is not an accident. This is putting this Ezekiel prophecy into place. Just go, go tell the shepherds to go to the city where the shepherd king lived and go see. And so these, these streams are flowing. Before Jesus' mission, it's visualized as a shepherd savior. It's fulfilling prophecy. It's told to them. It's announced to shepherds. And so we see, does he do it? Does he do it? That Jesus' mission is to seek and to save And that's exactly what Ezekiel 34 talked about, looking for lost sheep, herding sheep, broken sheep, bringing them in to pasture. So Jesus' mission, or so the third point is that Jesus claims his mission as the shepherd's savior. It's foretold in Ezekiel, it's announced to shepherds, and then does Jesus take that on? Does it happen? Does it work out? For that we need to jump to John chapter 10. Let's jump to John chapter 10. John chapter 10, we see the shepherd imagery claimed by Jesus. John chapter 10, verse 7. Okay, John 10, 7. So Jesus said again to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. So here he's picturing a sheep fold or a sheep pen. And in those days they had them where there was only one door so the shepherds could guard it and make sure only sheep got in and no robbers and no wolves. So he says, I'm the door. I'm the way into the sheep pen where you're safe and secure and protected. Verse 8, all who came before me are thieves and robbers, robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. Doesn't that sound like Ezekiel? I'm going to bring them into pasture. Verse 10, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. So as Jesus is talking, he's saying, I am a, I'm the access point. I'm the way you get into the pasture. I'm the way that you find salvation. But two different times he's talking about opposition, right? People who came before were thieves and robbers. Then we have the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. We have opposition. And this is, this is what is behind the whole idea of a savior is we need saving from something, right? If someone jumps into a pool and they're swimming and having a great time and the lifeguard yanks them over and throws them on the side, they're like, hey, I can swim, right? Leave me alone, right? When you're drowning, you're pretty happy about the lifeguard. And so this is the whole announcement. You need, he's coming as a savior. Why do we need a savior? Here he's saying the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. And so this whole idea of needing a savior and Jesus coming as a savior, as a shepherd's savior, goes all the way back to the beginning and the reality that we have sin and we need to be saved. So I want to jump back to the beginning of the story, 
to see the whole reason we need a Savior, the whole reason that we had to come, and to see the thief in action. The thief is in action in Genesis chapter 3. Genesis, the beginning, God creates perfectly. He creates man and woman, puts them in a beautiful garden. He himself visits it and interacts with them. We have this beautiful picture of God creating paradise and God interacting with a human family that he wanted in paradise. And then in, in Genesis chapter 3, that's when it gets broken. This is, introduces the whole reason we need a Savior and the identity of this thief that comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Genesis chapter 3. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the other beasts of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And God told them they could eat from the trees of the garden. But he said there's one tree, the tree in the middle of the garden you can't eat from. So the first thing he does is question. Did God say you can't have anything? He really would say that? You can't eat anything? Verse 2, and the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. But God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree in the, that is in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it, lest you die. So she corrects him. No, he said we can eat, just not that one. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. There starts the lie. The thief is a liar. The serpent is a liar. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. What does he do there? He puts the idea out that God is holding out on you. He knows there's a better thing. He knows that you could be like him. He knows that there's something good for you and uh, he's holding it back. You can't trust him. He's not good. He's not giving you everything. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they knew that they were naked. Suddenly the realization, we're naked, we're ashamed, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. And so this is the, the, the fall of man. And they went from being naked and unashamed, freely walking in paradise with God, interacting to being ashamed, covering, hiding, which then brought the curse. God curses the man, the woman, the serpent, Death enters the world. It all comes from this moment because of the lie. The thief wanted to steal life, kill life, destroy life. I think, well, how does this apply to me? Paul tells us in Romans 5.12, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. We all enter into the sin of Adam and Eve. It passes to us. We're born into sin. We will die in sin. And that's why we need a Savior. Because the thief lied. Because our first parents sinned. So come on back to John chapter 10. We're going to see Jesus as the shepherd Savior taking on this, this identity. 
We need a Savior because of the fall of man. We need a Savior because we believe the lie. John chapter 10, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. So now he picks up that shepherd imagery. I am the good shepherd. I'm the one that Ezekiel was talking about. I'm the one that was announced to the shepherds. I'm the one that David, the shepherd turned king, points to. I'm the good shepherd, and the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. This could be all kinds of other religious systems, other voices of influence. When it comes right down to it, when things get hot, difficult, they leave. And Jesus says, I'm not leaving. I'm the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice, so there will be one flock and one shepherd. So in this passage, Jesus claims the identity as the shepherd savior. He says, I'm the way into the pasture. I'm also the good shepherd. I've come to die for your sin. I've come to pay the price for your sin. And so I am the one that lays down. Everything else runs away, but I'm the one that's going to face off with the enemy. I'm the one that's going to gather the sheep. And isn't that what we heard from the Ezekiel passage? I'm going to go looking for them. Not just that I'm going to come, I'm going looking for them. And so in the life of Jesus, we see this, that he actually went seeking. He went looking for lost, hurting sheep. I want to show that you can look at this in countless uh, Bible passages, but one I want to look at is just uh, in Luke chapter 5. In Luke chapter 5, Jesus, we just see an example of him looking and seeking for lost, hurting sheep. Luke chapter 5, verse 27. And this is played out in Jesus' life as the shepherd looking. Luke chapter 5 verse 27. He says, after this, he went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax booth. So to say a tax collector would, he, this literally was his job, but tax collector also in their time meant everyone who's evil, sinful, to be called, you're worse than a tax collector, was an insult. They viewed them as the lowest of the low. So he said to him, so Jesus goes to the tax collector, to the lowest of the low, and he says, follow me. And leaving everything, he rose and followed him. And Levi made him a great feast in his house, and there was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at the table with them. So first thing Levi does is throw a party for Jesus. He invites all of his friends and the Pharisees, the religious leaders of the day, and their scribes grumbled at his disciples saying, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? What are you doing with them? They're the bad people. They're the problem. Verse 31, 
And Jesus answered them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. So Jesus comes on earth. We're foretold that he's going to be a shepherd looking for sheep. He says, I'm the good shepherd. And then in his life, if you read the accounts of Jesus, this was a repeating story. Going to all the places where people were hurting, outcasts, rebels, sinners. He was criticized for it. Like, what are you doing with those people? He said, this is why I'm here. I'm seeking sinners. I'm seeking the sick. I'm seeking the lost. I'm a shepherd searching for my sheep. It's what I was foretold to do. It's why I came. So does Jesus answer that part of his mission? He went seeking sinners. Then he went to a cross saving sinners. He went to the cross to save sinners. Colossians 2.13 says, And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses. By canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands, this he set aside, nailing it to the cross. Every sin we've done, every, everything we've done in rebellion against God, I just always imagine this massive file drawer. And he says, you know what? I just took care of that. It's nailed to the cross. I, the righteous shepherd savior, paid the full price, paid in full. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. The thief The serpent, the enemy, was defeated at the cross. His power of sin and death and lies were defeated by Jesus' righteous death. So Jesus claims his mission as the shepherd savior. He claims it by just announcing, I am the good shepherd. He claims it by seeking lost sheep throughout his time on earth. He was constantly going to the broken, the outcast, the sinner, and saying, come with me, follow me. He claims his mission by laying his life down for the sheep and then raising him again. So we see that Jesus' mission is to seek and to save. That's his whole point. So before he was ever on this earth, he's the eternal son of God. He tells Ezekiel, I myself am coming. I'm going to save the sheep. I'm going to be the shepherd looking for the lost. Right before he's born, the angel tells Joseph, hey, He's coming. He's going to be a savior. When he gets there, what happens? The first people told, shepherds. Hey, the shepherd, the shepherd is coming. So we're telling you, where do we look for him? In the city of David, who was the shepherd turned king. So go to that place to look for him. And then throughout Jesus' life, he is the shepherd looking for lost sheep. He announces that he is the shepherd who has come to lay down his life for the sheep. And then he actually does it on a cross. He's come to seek and to save. So it says, She will bear a son. You shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. So I want you to know today that he is seeking you. He is seeking you. He's come all the... We're celebrating Christmas almost 2,000 years in this coming. He's still seeking the lost, hurting sheep. He said a little later in that passage in John 10, My sheep hear my voice, 
and I know them, and they follow me. You hear Jesus' voice. He's calling you. Come. Say, I've done too much. I'm too bad. He would never come. He came for the lost sheep. He says, I give them eternal life. The gift of Christmas is the gift of Jesus paying for your sins and then giving you eternal life. They will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. When you come to Jesus, you're in his hand. And then he goes on to say, My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I just love that idea of the double grip, that the Lord Jesus has you, and the Father has the Lord Jesus and you, and no one is taking you away. I just want to make sure everyone knows in this room today that the Lord Jesus Christ is the shepherd seeking you. He's calling you. You can turn to him today. You can be forgiven of your sin. You can be invited into his sheepfold. You can have this eternal life that starts now. That this Christmas could be your day of salvation. He is seeking you. And you can turn to him today. Maybe it's a day you turn back to him. You hear the story a lot. I knew it as a kid, and I was kind of around church as a kid, but now, now, I, I got lost in it, or I didn't like it, or something stepped in. Come on back. Come on back. He's calling you again. And some of you know this story, and so I'd encourage you to, to join Jesus' mission. If you know Jesus, and you're celebrating Christmas as the, worshiping the shepherd who's come to save One of the last things he said to his disciples in John 20 was Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you as the Father has sent me, even so I'm sending you. Perhaps he's sending you to someone who's lost, broken, fearful, unsure. Maybe this Christmas season he's putting a name. Reach out to this person. Invite that person. Bring a plate of cookies to that person. Let them know that the Savior is seeking them. So you can be called into Jesus' mission, you can join Jesus' mission. Why don't we pray? Lord Jesus, I thank you for this Christmas season. I thank you that you came as the shepherd king to save us. I just pray for any of this room right now that is hearing your voice. They're hearing you call them to them for the first time or back to them. They know they failed you. We've been born into the sin of Adam and we face death. And they want you, the good shepherd. If that's you right now, you can just, in the quietness of your heart, call out to him. Call out to him and just say, I want to be in your sheep pen. I want to be in your family. I'm hearing your voice. Be my savior. Be my king. I receive you. And Lord, I just pray that you would send us. If we know you, we've been in your family, you'd send us to those lost and hurting. We join your mission to seek and to save. Put a name in our heart and mind today. Put someone in our mind and heart that we need to go to, reach out to, call, text, invite over, bring a gift to. Or we want more and more people to know that you are the Savior today. And we just pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.